Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, page 978, and then we'll go on to Colossians 3. I'll read. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Flip over a couple of pages to 9.84, Colossians chapter 3. 9.84, Colossians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 18 and finish at 21. Wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Born servants, obey in everything who Everything, those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, uh, but with sincerity of the heart, fearing the Lord. Please keep your Bibles open. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to see you here. Great to see some people here last night as well for Amani's birthday party. Um, that was good fun. And Natalie, fantastic games, wonderful. Um, I didn't take part in the games, I thought I'd be too good, you know, win, win everything, so, um, uh, no, it was great fun, um, great to meet some of um, Mercy's extended family as well, um, to see them all again, so, great, thanks for inviting us. Um, if you can keep that uh, passage over, open in front of you, uh, we are going to be looking at those uh, four, just four sentences together, um, uh, so keep them in, in front of you, let me pray. Father God, we do thank you that in your Son you reconcile us to you. Father, thank you that you do that. Um, You reconcile a whole people for yourself. And the consequences are that we are united. 
And please, would you show us today how uh, that plays out in our family life, how that plays a part in our church life as well. Uh, Please, would you make us thankful for the people that you've put in our families and the roles that you've given us. Uh, We need your help. Uh, So we pray that you would speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I don't know if you tend to do this, but uh, I compartmentalise my life. It's quite, quite tidy, really, isn't it, to have a compartmentalised life? What I mean by that is I have um, family life in that tidy little box over there. And I, I get out and I'll just open it up and then do a bit of family life. And then I've got my work life over there. And then I've got my church life. Uh, it's all very neat and tidy, isn't it? Uh, but the one problem is uh, that there isn't, two ca- uh, there isn't more than two categories um, to our lives. Actually... Uh, Colossians and the Bible encourages us to think of just two categories of life. There's either life with Jesus or life without Jesus. Um, so what are these categories? I guess we, the joke is that this is a man's world, isn't it? You know, men tend to do this thing very, very neatly, um, whereas women have a bit more of a waffle kind of effect. I don't know what the terminology is. Um, but the problem with this is that actually all of our lives are either with Christ, with Jesus, or without Jesus. And uh, for Christians, these divisions, if we emphasise them too strongly, can actually get us thinking that God is only really about the business, or his real business is in one of those categories. Uh, so, So the real stuff he's doing in my life happens on Sundays. And that's the business side of my walk with God. And the other stuff is sort of, so there's a little bit, less significant do you you feel like that sometimes Uh, let me ask you another couple of questions Um, a question like how does my part in my family or my home how does that bring God glory now if there's not something that immediately jumps to your head it probably means that that's the kind of thing that we need hearing from the bible isn't it Um, we don't naturally have an answer to that how does my part in my family bring God glory or how does my marriage my parenting or my attitude to my parents show what Jesus is like does it or is it just a is it just a waste of time is it just an extra thing that we've got to do in life and it doesn't really have any impact on our walk with God okay um the I read something that said that the surprise for the people hearing this, these words spoken was not the kind of things they said, the nature of the, what people are to do, but the fact that it even addresses these kind of relationships. Because if you think about Colossians, George helped us to see that it starts big picture, doesn't it? Jesus is reconciling the cosmos, everything in heaven and everything on earth to him. And it's sort of big picture on a grand scale. And you can then sort of... They would have been surprised when the part of the letter was read and it was so practical, so everyday. Like the things that, the way that we play our part in our family is mentioned. It's all part of God's plan. All part of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. And that's the surprise, isn't it? That it even impacts to how we live our lives as parents, as husbands, as wives, as children. So that's the first thing. Um, it's, it, it is important. It has significance 
Uh, if Jesus is reconciling to himself all things, then that includes our relationships with one another. Not just in church, but with our, church, with our family as well. And here, with really uncharacteristic brevity, by that I mean it's, it's very short, isn't it? There's less than 50 words here. If you read from verse 20, uh, 18 down to tw- uh, 21. Less than 50 words about the family. And if you know Paul, he's not brief about a lot of things, right? He tends to sort of use quite a lot of words. But here we've got just less than 50 on the family. And yet, in these 50 words, what we get is God's good and pleasing plan for families. For Christian families. For Christians in their families. It's a plan that pleases him and that reflects what he and his son are like. And if you're a Christian then today, this couldn't be more relevant for you. It is God's plan for you. So you can go away with the answer to that question at the start. How does my part in my family bring God glory? Well, you can, you'll get something of that answer in what we're going to look at today. And it will also help you to, uh, to know what to pray for those sitting right next to you. What to pray for your church family in their relationships with their family members. Um, so it is amazingly practical. We're not going to lose sight of that. But this is about how we relate. It's about our family. Um, so if we, uh, I just want to say as well that if you're not a Christian, if you don't know Jesus, well, not all of this is really applies, or it can't be something that you can naturally do because the motivation for this. In, in fact, even the power to live this life comes from Jesus' death and his resurrection. So it wouldn't be great for me to just say, get on and do this. And for you to go away thinking, oh, I came to church today, they told me to be a loving husband. That's what I've got to do. No, actually, um, it would be helpful for you to look into this and to just compare it to life that you experience now and the family that you experience now. And ask yourself the question, how does this kind of picture of family life differ from my own? And if it is better, then would you be willing to ask the second question, how can I know Jesus for myself? Which is the crucial thing before any of this can happen. This is, this is to Christians, this is to, to people who have already been saved um, and are now um, his, his, uh, part of his family. And I'm very aware that this, the answer to that question of how does this compare to my, my family, well, that's going to dredge up a lot of painful memories for some people. Um, I have a, my dad, um, I, I do know my dad, uh, but I don't know his brother because I've never met him. Um, it, the family just haven't seen him for 20 years or whatever. I just, I don't remember anything about him. And, uh, and I'm sure there are tons of situations in this room that are quite like that. Uh, so it's very painful, isn't it, to ask the question, how does God's picture an ordering of family compared to my own? Because I'm sure there's going to be some uh, heartaches and some loss, some grieving of relationships that you don't, just don't have anymore. Uh, but if you're willing to do that, it might lead you to the question, how can I know Jesus for myself? If this way is better, if God's way is good then how can I know Jesus who will bring me into this new way of living? Because he will. He died to save you. 
um, so that you could be his own. Um, the passage before this, as um, George reminded us, spoke more generally of how Christians are to relate to each other. Uh, so we had things like uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. And we kind of summarised that last week, didn't we? As um, those who have been loved and forgiven will be loving and forgiving. And the kind of two aren't separate. What it means to love and be loved is to forgive and be forgiven. You see what I mean? So it's, that's the summary that we got last week. That's quite general. Uh, but there is yet more to say about what this specifically looks like in the home. What this looks like in our marriages, in our parenting... And in how we relate to our parents. And as I said, this is less than 50 words that we get in this letter. So there is going to be more things that we want to ask and things that we want to say. And um, I've actually tried to get that ball rolling already. So I've uh, messaged, I think, only through Hannah's home group, the women in the church, to say, like, what, what would you think about some of the things that we're going to be looking at today? And how does it relate to you? And what questions would you have? Uh, but I do want that to be continuing as well. I want us to take the opportunity to ask about the actual workings of this and, and engage with it and to have conversations off the back of this. Um, uh, so uh, without further ado, let's, let's crack on and see what this says. Um, I've, we're going to group it under two main headings. And the first one is loving unity in marriage, as you can see on the screen. And the second one is loving unity between generations. Um, and I'm just what I'm doing there is I'm picking out verses 18 and 19 for the first point, and then 20 and 20, uh, just verse 20 and 21 uh, for the second point. Uh, so loving unity in marriage. A picture of the changed community, the changed people of God, people who have been saved, is that there will be loving unity in marriage. The, the unity and the love that is seen, not just by them and experienced by them, but by others around them, is actually going to be in that relationship uh, between husband and wife. Shall we read it together? As let's read in verses 18 and 19. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So first of all, part A then, wives submit to your husbands. Uh, when we come to this first instruction, we quickly realise how much this plan flies in the face of our popular culture. Let me just explore that for a minute with you. What is the uh, must-have in our culture for personal fulfilment and happiness? What do you think it might be? Independence. Independence. Another word for it? Autonomy. Autonomy just means I'm the one who decides everything in my life. And, and that's pitted as being the thing that you need to have fulfilment in life, right? Um, so uh, this view that the Bible is presenting here, if it challenges autonomy, and autonomy is the thing to be fulfilled, have the fulfilling life, then this is an evil thing to say, right? If you're taking away the one thing that will make them most fulfilled and most happy... Then, and, and, and it's saying that wives might want to uh, um, lay down that right, then they will be unfulfilled and unhappy. You see? So that's why it's seen as being evil. 
Um, and yet, is that true? Is it true that the autonomous life, the independent life, the absolutely independent life, is the happiest? Okay. After all, what about relationships? Because the ultimate autonomy or independence is not being bound to others in any way. Isn't it? You're going to go to the foregone conclusion of that. It's just saying, I don't need anyone. I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to relate to anyone. Because that would be to bound me to them in some way. And actually, what about those who care for young children and, uh, or elderly parents? And that involves a massive amount of personal sacrifice, doesn't it, and freedom, of, of freedoms. Is their life less fulfilled? Is their, is their life unfulfilled because they're caring and sacrificing their own personal freedom in doing that? I don't think so. Well, it's no secret that the existence of God overthrows our sense of autonomy altogether, doesn't it? Because if this is God's world and not ours, and if Jesus is the rightful king, not us, then he gets to say what goes, not us. And that is the first thing, isn't it, that where autonomy is chucked out the window. This is God's world, not ours. Jesus is the rightful king, not us. And he gets to say what goes, not us. And yet, what did Jesus wield his authority to do? What, whom did he use his authority for? For others. For us. For mankind and for our good. Jesus laid down his own life to feel the eternal wrath of God for, their sin, for our, our sin and to save However you look at this, the cross challenges our proud independence because we discover that what we thought was the ultimate freedom, which was being independent of God, our creator, is in fact the ultimate slavery. And we discovered that we are utterly dependent on Jesus. We're dependent on him for all things, even our eternal safety and salvation. So autonomy really has no place in the Christian life. Okay? And so let me just throw that out there because I think we've believed the lie of our society which is autonomy means fulfilment and happiness. And yet the ultimate autonomy, being separated from God, independent of him, we know, don't we? We know that leads to the ultimate misery. So let's see what God says about submitting to others in love. And being dependent on each other. (laughs) Right? Even in our marriages. Should we look at that? Um, Well, let me just show you one other side. So uh, the actual word is for submit. If you don't like that word, fine. It actually means to order life under. That's the word. And it occurs a lot in the Bible, right? So this is all the times that word, order life under, occurs. I won't actually give you every reference, and that might take time. But it just goes to show... That the Christian life is about ordering our lives under. Under God, in Hebrews 12 and James 4. Under his law, in Romans 8. Under Christ, probably the most obvious one, Ephesians 5. Under the governing authorities, whether good or bad. Uh, Romans 13, Titus 3, 1 Peter 2. Uh, Under ministers. 1 Corinthians 16, under uh, younger men, under older men, in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, and then finally under masters, uh, which is sort of um, 
which is what Tom is actually going to be looking at next week uh, with us in terms of um, employment. So someone has actually, I'll read you this quote from this book because I found it helpful. On this basis, someone has reasonably argued that the New Testament teaches a subordinationist ethic. Right? Suborder, ordering under, subordinationist ethic. So this has reasonably argued that the New Testament teaches this ethic, front and centre, in every area. (laughs) This is the way in which the new humanity is constituted... It is the way in which the disintegration of human society is to be redeemed, not by individual liberation from restraints and obligations to others, but by each one gladly placing himself or herself under the ones God has placed over them. See that? So the redeeming feature of this new community is to have this subordination, ordering ourselves, our lives under and, and all, this applies to everyone, right? Mm. It's not that some Christians are the ones who do the ordering. No, it's, it's, it's us all under it, ordering our lives under Christ and God, under his law, under the governing authorities, under ministers. Um, that's why I went away to Amy. I'm, I'm, I'm under an authority too, to my bishop. Um, older men under younger men, uh, younger men to order their lives under older men, and to all, all order our lives under our employers and submit to them. So it is pretty widespread. Um, so in terms of our culture, I think we do need to start there because we need to realise that the fulfilled life is, n- is not the autonomous life. It's the rightly ordered life under Christ's rule, under his loving and good authority. Because if he uses his authority for our good, then we can trust him. And we will thrive if we are um, led by him. And we will not thrive. We will, our lives will go to pot if we take that authority for ourselves. Okay, so let's look at this. Um, wives, um, order your lives under your husbands. The command for wives here is to seek and willingly embrace the order and care that is to be found under the loving authority of their husband. If they are to be rightly cared for, they must allow that to happen. <laughs> it's a bit like what we get when we come to thinking about children. How are children lovingly cared for? Well, they can only be lovingly cared for if they accept that love and that care. And actually, it's not just allowing it to happen, to even encourage it. And there will be numerous situations and scenarios that might spring into view with this. And everyone's lives are very different, right? Everyone's marriages are very different. And some people here are married uh, to, not, uh, to people who aren't Christians. Um, so we, there will be things that we want to talk about in terms of what that looks like. And that's why the conversation needs to be not just me saying this, but people actually um, having a chance to talk it through. But the command is to seek and willingly embrace the order and care that is to be found under the loving authority of their husbands. To order lives under their husband's care and under his love. And the reason why I say under his care and under his love is because of the next bit. Because you see, um, in the uh, command for for husbands, um, husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What kind of love are we talking about here? Are we just talking about, oh, I love you, darling? 
You know, that's easy to say, isn't it? Not always easy to say, but it is fairly easy to say, isn't it? But um, no, we're not just talking about that. We're talking about, if you remember that reading from Ephesians 5, being willing to lay your life down and sacrifice for your wife. It to the measure and to the nature of the way that Christ did that for his church. So the measure of love and the quality of the love that we're talking about here is the measure of Christ's love for his church. And if I was to ask the question, what was Christ willing to do for his church? Everything. What was he not willing to do for his church? Nothing. There was nothing too much for him to do. Um, And so if that is the kind of love within this relationship, then that goes with the being able to submit to that, doesn't it? You can submit to someone who lovingly cares for you. And we can lovingly submit to Jesus because he lovingly cares for us. And we can lovingly submit to one another if there is that love and that care for each other. And it's, yeah, so that the exact nature and way in which the husband is to love his wife is to reflect the way that Jesus loves his church. So the, this is to me. Rob, are you loving Hannah in a way that begins to reflect more and more the sacrifice and willingness of Jesus? Are you loving her in a way that wants to present her holy and blameless and to um, encourage her and to speak truth and to nourish and cherish her and all of these things? And if I'm not, I tell you what, I need you guys to tell me that I'm not doing that. But that's, that's why it's the church. This is a call for the church, the people of God, and together. Not just an individual thing, not just me and my wife and you and your wife and you and your husband, but the church. This is something that comes under that whole bracket of uh, two verse 12, 3 verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We need each other to do this. It's not going to be easy. So, sinful nature is always at hand, isn't it? Why do you think um, he needs to say... Um, to fathers and to the husbands, by the way, twice to the men, don't do this. Okay? For you women out there, why do you think he needs to say twice, don't, do not be harsh with them in verse 19. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Because the sinful nature is always at hand, isn't it? And we will start to see our families not as those that we are to serve, but those who are there to serve us. And so we need this, don't we, to, to be told what it will. We need to be told these things. And we need to tell them to one another as well. Um, next up then, uh, moving on, or else we'll be here forever. Um, loving unity between generations uh, in verses 20 to 21. Uh, let's read that together. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And again, we'll look at part A and part B. Um, so children, obey in everything your parents. I think what shows most about the attitude that we have and expectation we have of children is that... Um, uh, 
is our response to tales or, or stories we tell each other about their disobedience, right? I guess there was probably a day where people would have gone, huh? they said that? They, they didn't do what you asked them to do? And yet, if I was to tell you stories of Eddie right now, I guess the prevailing response would be laughter and thinking it was silly and funny. But the fact that Eddie is not listening to me and not obeying what I say has massive implications, doesn't it, for the family home? Not just for his safety and his love and care, but for the true things I want to say to him and I want him to listen to about his eternal safety and eternal things. So it is really important that our children listen to us, they hear us, and that they obey what we say. With Eddie, we just try to sort of encourage him he doesn't really understand obedience yet. Um, he doesn't understand the concept, so we just try to encourage him to, to listen. Have you listened? Are you listening? Because it's really important. Because listening goes with obedience, doesn't it? If you're deciding not to listen, you're deciding not to obey. Um, the God-given role of parents is to love their children and to bring them up in the way of the Lord. And if they will not listen to things of everyday importance, they won't listen when it has eternal importance. So it is really, really important um, that that is there, that children obey their parents. And the, the motivation for them to do that, if they hear the gospel from us, if they see grace modelled, is that Jesus is a good king. He's, he's a loving ruler. And he loves us and lays down his life. So that would be the motivation uh, to do these things. Not just because they have to. Uh, but because they want to. Um, secondly then, uh, fathers. Uh, it's another do not, isn't it? Um, in verse 21. Do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. I think the Ephesians stuff says, uh, build them up in the way of the Lord. What does it say in Ephesians? It says, we didn't read it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there is a positive there. Um, not just the what they're not to do and the, the consequences if they do. I think it's quite helpful, isn't it? The last word of this passage, which isn't easy for me to pass on to you and to say as a bloke, is actually one that I will find incredibly hard to practice. Because there's so much, so often an urge within me, whenever um, there is disobedience or ignorance in, what I, in, in my children and in the way that they respond to me, to come down even harder... And to crush. Because as an adult, with more knowledge, as a father, you know, I can do that. And, and yet, if I continually do that with Eddie, his confidence will be completely rock bottom. When he comes to church and you, you, you ask him, you know, you want to talk to him as an adult, you try to engage with him, you realise he, he, he's scared. <laughs> he's just scared of people. And so his confidence is so low that he's discouraged. And he can't, he can't engage with others. He can't have the, the loving relationship with others because I've been so hard with him. And that's the kind of the picture that he's talking about here. It's saying, don't do that. Uh, don't provoke your children. Don't provoke them to anger. Or else they'll become discouraged. So there is a way to lovingly discipline that isn't overbearing and, and crushing someone's spirit 
And we need each other's help to know what that looks like, don't we? Because it's so easy to do the crushing. Hannah always says to me, Rob, you need to go and give them a hug or you need to go and do the reconciling bit because I've done the dealing with it out the room on the stairs, but I I need to go, she, she needs to remind me to go back and say, I still love you and do that bit because they feel rejected. Um, so that's another one. But isn't it wonderful, actually, at this point, if you think about it, um, the Bible is very countercultural. God's way is countercultural. And, and what I mean by that is, it's not, in a lot of cultures, it would be one rule for adults and another, another rule for the children. So children have to do this, they have to, you know, that this applies to them and, not to, and the adults somehow it doesn't apply to. But you can see actually here that the it applies to the fathers, the ones who are, the, you know, it's considered the head of that society. You know, the patriarchs of that society already have their importance because of what culture says, and yet they are being told, your speech, use your speech in a way that is loving and will build your children up. That's massively countercultural in a lot of African cultures, I would have thought. You know, you know, the crushing bit is, is fine. That's your d- d- authority. But in a way, that actually builds them up and actually nourishes and cares for them and communicates that reconciliation. Yeah, it's, it's lacking, isn't it, in our culture? Um, so as we draw this to a close and as we get the opportunity for questions and to think this through together, and let me just summarise. God's plan... And his good and loving plan through Christ is to reconcile all things, even our families. To do work on us (laughs) in our relationships and to give us um, a good order, a loving order to our relationships. An order that pleases him and that is for our good. So nothing is outside of that. Nothing is sort of extra or not important. It all matters. And as we hear these words and we feel the weight of them, and where we failed at doing this, let's come to Christ, come back to him and say, this hasn't reflected you in the way that I've been with my child, with my husband, with my wife. I know that you've saved me so that I would reflect you in the way that I live in my family. So please help me to do this. And uh, as we do that together as a church, we're here to share lives so that we might do this together as a church. Our families are so important. I mean, no one in this room, there isn't a category that applies to you. You are, you are a child, <laughs> even if you're not a dad or a husband or a wife. So let's, um, let's pray together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your order, your ordering of things because of what your son has done is good and um, there is much care and flourishing and love that you design for our families and through our families and thank you for saving us, for loving us, for forgiving us so that we might have families that are strong in terms of the unity and loving. Please would you help us where we've not done that where we've seen our families as those that need to serve us and not those that we 
um, have been given to serve and have the privilege of serving. Please would you change our sinfulness, our selfishness, turn us outward to each other, to one another, and to one another's families as well. Uh, we pray this may be honouring to you. And we pray that people looking in, in our, from our culture where it really is a wasteland of broken relationships and families that don't function and that have lots of disorder and chaos, they would look in and they say, there's something different here. What is it? Why do you do this? And then we'd have a good answer to give. Uh, to point them to your love for us and what you have done for us in saving us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.